Right, so we're going to open up the Bible to start things off this morning. And we've been doing a little series called One Another. Uh, what does it look like to live well with one another in church, in day-to-day life, with everyone around us? And I've loved this series. I've loved this series. Uh, we've looked at four or five, I think, one another's in the Bible. And uh, last week, Chuck brought us a uh, pray for one another. What does that look like? And uh, it's just been great. It's just been great. As I was preparing today's uh, talk, and we're looking at honour one another, as I was preparing, it reminded me of my first job at Safeway. I uh, went in on my first day, and instead of the green shirt, and I think it was a green shirt, actually, at the time, I didn't, they didn't have any in stock uh, in their warehouse. So I had to wear a white shirt and a bow tie on my first day as a 16-year-old, stacking shelves, looking like a waiter. But within that space, in my first few years of working, I seen honour firsthand, and I seen dishonour firsthand. I seen folks slacking off at work, especially on night shift. When I turned 17, I had the opportunity to do some night shifts, and it was a great little learner as a teenager, and it was quite a small supermarket, uh, and there was only maybe three or four that would be on night shift at the time. And some of the team would get big pallets of toilet roll and they'd go for a snooze. So on the big pallets of toilet roll, they'd wheel them into the middle and they would just jump onto them and go for a little sleep in the middle of the night. Some of them would sort their shopping for the week. So they'd go around with their trolleys and sort their week's shopping. Some of them, and this is no joke, would get a full-on Sunday roast on the go in the staff kitchen, get all the ingredients and uh, have it for their break at 2 a.m unbelievable but in the mix of that some of them would work with everything they had they would take breaks when they should and honor their boss in the seen and the unseen there would be people when a certain boss was on when the rotation of of our line managers would happen through the week depending on who on who was on they would shut down or they would work that little bit harder it's like they were a completely different person completely uh, depending on who was on on that day and as a 17 year old I'm, I, it was eye-opening and you know some of the bosses weren't the nicest uh, but I had a choice in that moment we all had a choice in that moment that we would honor these people above our own interests uh, and we try to be as be- as consistent and give the same out whatever the situation and know and trust and remember that we had a job to do and it really set me up that first job it was, a, it, was, it was an eye-opener, and I didn't get it right all the time. We see lots of examples, and I didn't have to wear the bow tie for much longer, thankfully, thankfully. We see lots of examples of honour in the Bible. Paul in Romans 12, verse 10 says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Deuteronomy 5, 16 says, Honour your father and mother. Proverbs 3, Honour the Lord with your wealth. 1 Peter 2, 17 says, honour everyone. And Proverbs 21 speaks uh, of this. It says, whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness and honour. There's lots in the Bible on honour. Honouring God and honouring one another. And the word honour in the Hebrew is the word kivod. Uh, It's the Old Testament word for glory or weight. And uh, one of the translations of this word kevod is to place weight and respect on one another. They deserve honour. They matter. To give weight to them, even if there are differences. 
I love that imagery. I, I wonder uh, who, who is, is there people around us where we don't give full weight to or full attention to. We maybe just give them a little bit. A little, you know, it's, it's, it's perhaps the weight that we give is a little bit lighter with certain people. God is calling us to honour one another, give full weight to one another, value one another, respect one another, appreciate one another, recognise their full worth as God sees them, not as the world does. God sees them, sees all of us as sons and daughters. In our words, to do that in our words, in our actions and in our decisions. The passion, the passion, the passion, the passage Where's my water? <laughs> my mouth is getting dry. The passage I want to look at is 1 Samuel 24 this morning. And just to give you a bit of a snapshot, we have the people of Israel. And they've been led into the promised land. They're free from slavery, but they're clamoring for a king. They're, 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 they're wanting a king. They're seeing all these other nations having a king and they're like, we want a king. And the prophet Samuel appoints a man called Saul. Now it started well for Saul. It started well, but it didn't continue well. There was lots of character flaws and there was a, a prideful posture uh, in Saul. And it leads to David being lined up to replace Saul. He's anointed and uh, his time will come. His time will come to be king. And there's kind of this interim period. There's this period of waiting. And David and Saul get on well to begin with. But David's rising stature uh, really begins to irk Saul. It begins to trouble him. He gets jealous to the point where Saul wants him dead. So picture that timeline as we enter into the passage that I, I want to unpack. We're going to read 1 Samuel 24. And let me pray before we do that. Lord, we love your word. We love uh, that it's a living word. We love that you love to reveal your love, your promises. And uh, you love to speak to us through it. And I pray you'll do that this morning by your spirit. That you'll speak into situations, that you'll speak into questions, that you'll speak into struggles. That you will reignite dreams. That you, by your goodness and by your grace, would... Uh, yeah, just reignite, Lord, whatever, uh, yeah, whatever you want reignited, Father. Whatever we've dulled down, Lord, in the week past. We come to you uh, in expectation as we read from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, 1 Samuel 24. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took the three took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheepfolds along the way. A cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterwards, David was con conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. 
Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My Lord, the king! When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord gave you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on the Lord, on my Lord, because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but I did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Again, who is the king? Whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from, from your hand. When David finished saying this, Saul added, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me, and the Lord gave me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Amen. Amen. Three things I want to draw out, and I hope the Lord speaks in these thoughts and stirs and reaffirms or realigns relationally how we honour one another. The first thing, to honour one another, we must regularly evaluate our motives and actions. We read in the passage that Saul's going for a toilet break. And there's the irony in this is that the king, King Saul, with five times more troops pursuing David, more powerful, he's tried to kill David. He's now, he's now in turmoil pursuing David, jealous and angry. And we find Saul at the toilet and David has a choice. This is the chance to put an end to the king's reign. This season of running for his life, which I'm sure was terrifying. And there's a solution right in front of him. He can sneak up and put an end to it. Who would have thought it would have come about like this? And at this moment, honour comes into the equation. For David, this isn't it. He could feel it in his gut. He knew this isn't right. He was willing to let this opportunity pass by if it wasn't right, if it wasn't honouring to God and it wasn't honouring to Saul. He listened to his friends egging him on. Have you ever had that? You're around maybe people and they're like, this, this is the way. Go for it. You're, you know, and then you're like, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step in. This is the chance. Take it. In verse 4, of the passage the other translations uh, the men who are with David said the following other translations say can you believe it another translation says this is your opportunity and in verse 4 it says the men said this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish now you can't find any statement 
of that sort from God. Commentators suggest that the men are interpreting another uh, moment in David's story, perhaps his anointing in chapter 16, or Jonathan's prediction that David would be king, his friend Jonathan in chapter 23. You can imagine it, can't you? The men thinking, this is it. You can imagine David being swept away in the cave thinking, this is it. My men are right. And as he creeps forward to Saul, I'm going to be king. He's at the toilet. I'm going to, I'm going to, I've got an opportunity to kill him. I'm going to kill him. Wait a second. He's the king. Wait a second. He's God's anointed king. And I'm going to kill him. You can imagine him with the knife just coming back with that tiny bit of robe or whatever he used to cut that tiny bit of robe off, just evaluating in that moment his motives, his actions, the moment he got swept away in, in a moment of dishonor, a road that wasn't right. I wonder how many times we find ourselves in moments to outdo each other, moments to get above in the ladder, moments to take an opportunity in the wrong way, to make someone else look bad, to make us look good to the detriment of someone else, to have our name in light, self-promotion, or to make us feel better. And we're driven by the weight of other people saying, this is the moment for you. This is it, Thomas. This is your chance. And as we step forward, we have this gut moment where we know it isn't right, where we know it isn't honouring. You know, I don't like the way Jimmy, my boss, uh, treats me, but this isn't the way to gain an advantage. Or I'm in a tough season, but this won't make me feel any better. And actually, it'll do more harm than good. Why am I doing this? This is not right. And we come away with a corner of the robe and we breathe a sigh of relief. What is striking is that this encounter, no doubt, happened so quickly. But in that, David has time to evaluate. And I'd like to call these moments ghost slow moments, where in a, a millisecond, it feels like everything slows down, where the split second is magnified and the roads are marked out for us. For David, in those ghost slow moments, he's holding whatever instrument he's using, whether it be a knife, and he could only cut a corner. We all have these go slow moments where we have a decision to make. To honour one another, we must, we must regularly be in that place where we evaluate in these moments, am I honouring them as my boss? Am I honouring them as my friend? Am I doing anything to uh, gain an unfair advantage? Am I making myself look good to the detriment of them? Am I honouring my husband or wife with my words there? Am I honouring my boss, even though he was the rudest person in the world to me at the team meeting this morning? And everything within me was saying, I'm going to do the bare minimum today. You see, I really believe, as I was preparing this, I really believe for us as a church that there is kingdom opportunity in honour. I believe there's freedom to be found in honour. I think the Holy Spirit is unleashed and unlocked in honour. And I think honour unlocks something of Jesus' love into situations that, that is completely counter-cultural, that this kingdom culture brings life. And we see David, after this encounter, 
right away he downloads the internal workings of his thoughts after this encounter with the very men who encouraged him into it. Take a read of verse 5 to 7. It says this. Afterwards, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of the robe. And he went to his men and he said, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to the Lord's anointed. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and he he didn't allow them to attack Saul. Are we doing this? Are we pursuing honour with those above us and alongside us? Or do we have lists? Do we have people that we treat differently? Do we have people that we just do business with? It's almost transactional, where honour is lacking. It's a challenge, isn't it? I found it quite revealing as I was just reflecting on my own connections and relationships. Perhaps today is a reset moment in community with one another in church and in life, into a new week. And perhaps also, maybe, The Lord is calling us to call out those alongside us as David did in verse 7 with his men. To say, guys, team, family, this isn't the way. This isn't the answer. I'm not not going down that road. So Lord, I just pray for boldness. I pray for boldness in us, Lord, to to honour one another well. I pray for boldness to call out with those alongside us. This isn't the way. I pray, Holy Spirit, you deposit that in us right now for the week ahead, for the encounters we have, and uh, that you'd reveal to us what that looks like. Who are the people, Lord? Where are the places? And you would do a work in us, Lord, to draw us closer to you and to have those kingdom opportunities, to have the Holy Spirit unleashed in those encounters. Secondly, to honour one another, we trust in the bigger story of God in every season. Uh, during lockdown, I, I think with everybody else, subscribed to Disney+. Plus. Uh, there are other streaming services available, just to mention. But there's a lot of movies on there, and I got right into Marvel movies. Like I got super into Marvel movies. I was watching them uh, every other night to go through the Marvel universe. And I love how everything's connected. I love the timeline of it. I love how every character almost relates to every other character and there's crossovers in different movies and I ended up pretty distraught at the movie Infinity War when it looked like all the event half of the Avengers were gone I was like are we going to get any other movies what's happening but I trusted in the bigger story and the next movie it was okay everything was okay we are to trust in the bigger story when we are in moments of distress when we're feeling pursued, when we're feeling beaten, when we're feeling downtrodden, when we feel like life is giving us mountain after mountain, when we're feeling outnumbered and outsourced, outresourced, when we're shattered, when we're weary, we're to trust and we are to continue to give honour. Let me paint the picture in a bit more detail. Saul has 3,000 troops. In a, they're in a place called En Gedi, which uh, today, and I, I imagine it's the same back then, was three and a half thousand acres. Uh, back then it was used as, a, it was an area of housing and also an area for tombs. 
There was lots of craggy rocks as well where goats would live. Saul had intentionally sent out his men to look for David in these craggy rocks to climb these dangerous places. Every nook and cranny was being covered. I love that phrase, every nook and cranny, uh, was being covered by Saul's men to find David. There were 600 men with David, 3,000 men with Saul, outnumbered. And David chooses to spare his life. David chooses the bigger story and the promises of God. David chooses to trust. David respected the position that Saul held as God's anointed king. Saul was there right now in that position, but David knew one day his time would come. He looked to the bigger story. He knew that his actions in that moment would domino into future generations. The quick fix is often not the answer. I want to say, folks, let's trust the bigger story, the bigger narrative, and say no to quick fixes that lack honour. Let's realise that our actions today and every season domino effect into future generations. David knew, I, I think David knew in that moment, if I killed him, who's to say someone wouldn't do the same to me? He was setting, he would have set a precedent. A culture of honour in the toughest of situations was being formed and dug and planted in the ground. It's a stake in the ground that's been put down and it's not moving whatever comes my way. What a thought. What a thought. God had spoken to David in 1 Samuel 16 that he would be king. There's a bigger story. Saul was trying to kill David and would try again and David would spare his life again. And uh, what, what it says to me is that it's a lifestyle choice. It's a decision in every season. It's a trusting in the things to come. It's a future promise. It's trusting in the narrative and the directives of God and laying down the world's expectations, the world's whispers, the world's demands, the world's pressures. It's choosing faith and not feelings. It's choosing faith and not fear. It's, it's staying on solid rock and not building on sand. There's a bigger story. That when we understand that and receive that, that can't not be impacting us, shaping us, moulding us. Trust the bigger story. Trust the bigger story. Jesus is coming. He's coming back. And then finally, as I, I bring things to a close, when we honour one another, we bring life and we speak light over dark places. I was really struck in this whole chapter of the interaction between Saul and David. And I, I really felt something of God's spirit in it. Remember, David has spared his life. There's still 3,000 troops out there. There's still danger. But what does David do in verse 8? Let's have a read. David went out of the cave and he called out to Saul, my Lord, the king. He calls him out. And he bows down. I find that the most remarkable thing. And then something happens after that. Something happens after that. My Lord, the king, when Saul looked behind him, David bowed down with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord gave you into my hands. I, I spared you. And we read in, uh, we read after that, 
that, that Saul began to cry. My son, he shouts. My son. There was a risk moment in that for David. But he's honouring Saul. He's calling out in himself his, uh, you know, what he did. And something broke. Saul says, you treated me well. I have treated you badly. And we see the story revealed in verse 20. Saul says, surely you are going to be king. Surely you are going to be king. Where do we need to bring life and speak light in dark places? Where are they? Where do we have the opportunity to say, hey, what's going on? I've had, I've had opportunities here to maybe not do what I should. But I haven't. Is everything okay? I've had opportunities to dishonor. But I haven't. Is everything okay with you? Our words have power. And often the words we don't speak have more, you know, often the words we don't speak have more power. The things that remain unsaid. Who knows what moments might occur? Who knows what the Holy Spirit wants to break in the room at that moment by sharing our heart to speak into someone else's. Proverbs 18.21 speaks of the tongue having the power of life and death. I wonder what the Lord wants to do in situations we find ourselves in, just as David and Saul did in that moment. There was a risk moment in that. He was being pursued. The easier thing would have been to say nothing and to go away. I might, there's still thousands of men after me, but he called out King Saul. He said, you're, you know, you're the king. What are you doing chasing me? And what does Saul do? Something broke in that moment. Saul cries and he shouts, my son. And in that moment, although the story uh, takes another not so good turn in the chapters following, in that moment, something happens. Wonder where we have to speak life. In our week ahead. God does not show partiality and neither should we. We are to demonstrate to others that they have full value whatever the circumstance. We're to honour one another. We're to recognise our full worth, their full worth. We're to give full weight to one another. wonder what that looks like this week and let's see what comes of that. Let's look at our motives. Let's trust the bigger story. And when we honour one another, something of, of God's Holy Spirit, something of his life is breathed into that context, that moment, that space. That's my prayer for this week for us. We're going to worship now in a moment. There'll be a little screen that will just come on to prepare our hearts, uh, a little holding screen as we switch over the camera. Uh, but let me just pray.